0: I spoke to Walter Price on the 6th of March to get his views on the technology industry. These are fast-moving times, but it gives some early insights into the impact of the coronavirus on individual companies in the trust portfolio. Walter is now safely back in the US, working from home and monitoring the situation closely. Welcome to Silicon Valley Bitesize. My name's Cherry Raynard. I'm here with Walter Price, manager of the Alliance Technology Trust, to discuss some of the major technology issues of today. So, I think we all know what's coming up first. So, let's talk about the coronavirus and the potential impact on the technology sector.
1: Uh, what we're seeing is uh, very. Uh, uh, it varies by company. Um, I was at a technology conference this week and I talked to Tesla, which has a factory that they just built in outside of Shanghai, and uh, they said, no problem, so far, we're getting all of our suppliers are are providing the parts and they have you know hundreds of parts that are coming out of China. Uh, obviously, Apple and Microsoft have pre-announced uh, because they can't get enough PCs um, or they can't get enough phones uh, because production's slow to come up uh, when you're... In the case of Apple, you've got half a million people that you're trying to get returning from vacation in a pretty constrained uh, environment. So our view is it's going to take a couple months for China to ramp back up to 100% of capacity as opposed to a couple weeks, which is what it usually takes, and uh, therefore we're going to see some impact on production in the first quarter for, for most companies, I think. Um, the question you didn't ask was about the the demand side and i think uh the demand side is a lot harder to ascertain at this point we don't know uh how widespread the virus is going to be clearly in china where they uh you know a lot of people stayed off the streets stayed out of the restaurants uh you know stayed out of the stores uh, there's an impact on sales um people estimate it's you know 10 to 20 percent of sales uh, are, are going to be missing. Um, and some of those will come back. Uh, you know, I think Apple iPhones, for example, those will come back. People will st- eventually, when they get their job back and they get their uh, they they feel more confident about uh, the virus situation. Then they'll they'll go out and buy that phone that they were expecting to to buy. Some of them won't come back. I mean, if you missed a meal at a restaurant, you're not going to have two meals. Uh, so that those those revenues are gone forever. And and so we're trying to go through our portfolio and figure out you know who's who's uh, benefiting and who's at risk. And some of the people at risk are different than in in a recession, for example, or uh, you know, uh, a slowdown in the economy or a tariff situation. So, we're, we've gone through our portfolio and uh, adjusted it, taken some stocks down, uh, taken some stocks up. Um, and, um, you know, our view is uh, it's uh, still a fluid situation.
0: Has the share price decline been proportionate to the likely impact for businesses that have, have both that are likely to be more affected? Or do you think some of it is overdone? And is that is that the nuance you're trying to find when you're sort of readjusting the portfolio?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, we we have an active, I mean, this is a team-run fund. And so, we have an active uh, debate about what we should do about it uh, and, and how bad the impact is going to be on our portfolio and on the global economy. And the fact is, we don't know. So, we're just guessing. But um, one thing we do know is that China production's been affected, and uh, that we can take account for. China demand has been affected, but clearly the virus now is spreading outside of China. And you know, we, we've listened to people estimate as many as seventy percent of the world is going to uh, be exposed to the virus. And so, if that's true, then it's going to cause a slowdown in the world economy. People are going to um, travel less, eat eat out less. Uh, Conventions and uh, are going to be canceled. Uh, sales calls are going to be more difficult. So, it's going to have an effect on, I think, most of the companies in our portfolio, uh, just, just like a recession would have or a, a global slowdown. Um, the question is how fast we come back from that. Um, clearly, when the market was going down uh, in six straight days and very worried about um, you know what the result would be, and and how bad this would be. I think there was a lot of fear in the market. Meanwhile, the governments have been very proactive in cutting uh, interest rates, and uh, you know, and trying to re- stimulate their economies because they don't want to go into a deep recession caused by the virus. And so. Uh, they're they're helping companies that may have liquidity issues because their restaurant wasn't full or or their their plants having tr- trouble getting back up to speed. They're, the governments are helping with lower interest rates and uh, additional uh, loans and work from home policies that they're promoting. So I think that um, you know it's it's a slowdown in the economy. Uh, I think it will pass, and I think the economy will recover uh, from that uh, in the next uh, six to 12 months.
0: Has, has the Fed done enough, do you think, or, or, or do you think it will do
1: more? I think the Fed just basically reacted to the, the the fear in the market and said, okay, there's enough fear that it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that people are going to change their behavior because they're scared and they're going to be more cautious, so let's uh, do a preemptive uh uh, cut in interest rates. They were anticipating doing it at the end of March, and they decided to do it earlier uh, because they they wanted to get out ahead of this. Um, and I think you're going to see the Fed do more. It wouldn't surprise me to see Congress, uh, uh, if it looks like the economy is starting to slow and the virus is having an effect in the U.S. economy, for example, uh, put through a tax cut uh, in the next uh, in the next six months. So, I think you will have some fiscal stimulus and some and some uh, monetary stimulus. Uh, so, you know, that's coming. I
0: mean, the last time we um, we did one of these podcasts, we talked a bit about um, the big overvaluations of kind of big tech. You know, they'd had quite a kind of lacklustre year of earnings, and yet valuations had gone sky high, largely thanks to, you know, big inflows into passive and that sort of thing. Has this crisis adjusted some of those valuations, brought them down to more realistic levels. And if so, are, are there any kind of opportunities there?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, I mean, uh, um, in some sense, the market was anticipating the recovery of the economy in the in the January period, and so the market had this big run up, actually, of uh, in the case of the Nasdaq. Uh, you know almost uh, 15 20% um, and that's that's gone i mean you the market's gone right back to you know if you look at the nasdaq it started around 8000 it went almost to 10000 and now it's come back to 8000 again so um, we're kind of back where we started when we were worrying about the re- whether we would have a recovery or a recession at the, in the fourth quarter um, so you know i i think that Yes, stocks have definitely come down. You know, many of them twenty uh, percent from their highs. Um, some of them more than that if they're involved in travel. Um, but uh, you know, the average tech stock has come down ten or fifteen percent. Uh, is that enough? Uh, I think if uh, there's a global recession, that isn't enough. We'll see some further uh, pressure on uh, stocks. But if we don't have a global recession, then. Uh, there was a lot of fear uh a week ago and uh it's very unusual to have six straight days in a, a you know in a very uh oversold market so um you know i guess our our team's view is split as i said uh some believe that we you know it's not enough that a global s- slowdown is coming and that we could have some further weakness uh, the optimistic members of the team, which I'm always probably the most optimistic on the team, I believe that uh, the fear was actually quite high and that uh, we, will, uh, we will trade around these levels uh, for a few months and as we figure out how uh, much of a problem the virus is. So uh, I think we're at a good level where you can think about buying stocks again.
0: Of course, the other big news story of the day is the US election. Um, do you see any potential implications for the technology sector from the various possible outcomes?
1: So I think uh, one of the reasons the market was so weak uh, a couple of weeks ago is because Bernie Sanders was doing really well and he won, uh, he won Nevada convincingly. Uh, and so people started contemplating the idea that Bernie Sanders could be the next president seriously for the first time. And that is a scary proposition for somebody in the capital markets because he's he's calling for a wealth tax, he's calling for a multi-trillion dollar increase in in income taxes and so I think people uh, don't like that idea. Uh, the markets don't like that idea. Now, that Joe Biden's doing better. I think people between Biden and Trump, they say, you know, uh, as an investor, we're happy with either alternative. And so I think uh, they're they're not considered negative for the market. Um, the The other thing that Bernie's talked about is, uh, you know, is going after the big tech companies. Uh, so, you know, not only is he bad for the market, but he's bad for the big tech companies because he wants to break them up or, uh, you know, make you know tax them in a punitive way. Uh, so yeah, that, sort of that's also not good.
0: Employee participation and things like that, isn't it? Yeah. Right. He's he's called for some sort of redistribution of technology profits as well, hasn't he? The,
1: right. Yeah, I know. mean, he's he's a socialist. And so uh, anybody that's doing well has got to give up their position and their wealth <laughs> to somebody who's rent, not yeah. doing as well. So that's his, his basic philosophy. Um, you know, I think part of the rally that we saw uh, in the last week or so has been that Joe Biden has had a comeback and uh, basically won. Uh, most of the primaries that were contested uh, earlier in the week on Tuesday. And so now it's it's a two-horse race. Uh, everybody else is withdrawn at this point. It's Biden versus, Biden versus Bernie. And uh, I think in the case of Biden, uh, the market feels like he's a good alternative to Donald Trump. So if he wins, uh, yeah, the taxes may go up a little bit, but uh, it won't be radical. And... Um, and he's uh you know more of a conventional uh politician that uh seeks co- compromise and tries to get things done and and doesn't try to blow up the system i think if if bernie is viewed uh, as uh the leading candidate i think the markets probably will sell off again
0: okay um looking closer to home um we've had a, a big debate in the uk about Huawei and, um, you know, the UK has, the UK government has kind of adopted Huawei for part of its 5G thing, much to the irritation of the US government. Um, can you see this type of spat g- kind of happening all over the world? Are there implications for the technology sector? Is there anyone else who's kind of close to Huawei on 5G?
1: Well, you ask a bunch of questions there. I I think uh, from a technology standpoint, Huawei was the leading vendor in five uh, G because they had all of the pieces. Uh, if you look at Ericsson and uh, and Nokia, they they only provide the radio side and the networking side. They don't provide the the fiber side. They don't provide the phones. They don't provide the uh, you know a lot of the the infrastructure which would be provided by Cisco and in, in most cases or. Some of the telcos, so Huawei is, uh, you know, the most important company in China. Uh, Obviously, there's a a big debate about whether you want to put all of your network traffic uh, and your information that's flowing over that network in the hands of a Chinese vendor uh, who's very close to the government. And any successful company in China is very close to the government, and Huawei is the most successful company, so. Um, uh the government views them as, uh, you know, uh, even though they're a private company, they view them as a very key uh, company to that economy and their future. Um, so the debate is exactly that. Do you want to have uh, somebody that you basically don't trust uh, running the network where you're sending information? In the case of 5G, you're, you're running your plants on that. Uh, you're running your your security on that you're running uh your infrastructure on that and so um you know i think that um it's a philosophical debate it's also a practical debate from the standpoint of uh i think if you decide that Huawei is going to be that vendor then that gives them uh a leg up on selling you additional products uh, ai products and um uh, you know, cloud products and so forth. So, uh, you know, I think the U.S. really is worried that uh, it becomes a lot easier for China to spy. Uh, And, you know, they've done a good job of extracting uh, intellectual property from the uh, developed world uh, to benefit their industry. Um, And they're worried that they can do it uh, more easily with uh, the ability to monitor the information the way you're using uh, your information in in the five G world.
0: Um, we've talked in the past about how technology um, sort of spreads its wings. You know, gets gets into more and more sectors, and um, so initially it's retail, and then it's the auto industry. Um, FinTech appears to be the next big thing. It's suddenly it's being talked about a lot in asset management, in banking, or this kind of thing. Um, Is this something you're playing in the portfolio? Um, Are there any particularly exciting areas? I know we've talked about payments in the past. Um, Is it where are you seeing opportunities?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we, we as you say our big uh investment in fintech has been in the processors, the Visa and Mastercard. With the coronavirus, we've actually cut back those uh holdings a little bit because we think uh cross-border uh, activity is less in this environment and that's a very uh big area of profitability for those two companies. So, um, you know, and having said that, I think anybody associated with payments is Got to worry about, you know, people not going out to eat and not traveling as much. Um, but you're right, I think fintech does continue to uh innovate. Uh we've certainly seen that. Uh and you know, and w- one of the reasons that, that we owned Alibaba in the past was because of Alipay, uh, which is a uh transformative uh fintech product that you know, it started as a uh, easier way to uh, make payments for e-commerce products, and then it became a way to make payments for all products. And then it became a way to deposit your money in a money market fund. And then it became a way to uh, mm-hmm. develop uh, wealth management products and uh, stock market products for investors. And so. You know I think once you have that relationship with the customer, you can broaden that and make it very powerful and create a tremendous a tremendous company and a tremendous uh, uh, innovation for consumers uh, that are using your product. So we've been looking for that model. The, the closest thing that we've seen to that is uh, is Venmo, uh, which is a product that's sold by uh, PayPal uh, and used by young people to settle. Credit card uh, purchases among each other when they go out to a meal or something. That's how it started, and it's become more than that. And uh, Square Cash, or Cash Card, as it's called from Square, which is a way to move money among your family members that doesn't cost you anything to do that. And so, uh, but for the percentage of the population that's unbanked, uh, I think that's where it got its initial. Um, it's got a it's initial traction is it's a way to send money to your family members doesn't cost anything and then you can get a debit card and use it to buy things so once you have a square once you have a cash uh, account you can you, you can get a cash card which can be a debit card and you can and they just charge you the transaction fee so you don't have to have a bank you just have square uh now uh It's interesting. Millennials are starting to uh, adopt the technology as a way to send each other money over TikTok. So, uh, you know, 143 million people have sent money using the cash card to each other. So. You know, a person will do a, a skit on TikTok and say, uh, you know, I'm trying to buy this licorice. Send me a, send me, uh, you know, a dollar. Uh, or I'm trying to buy this car. You know, send me a, you know, thirty thousand people send me a dollar. I can, I can buy this car. And they'll do a skit and they'll dance around the car and they'll try to get people to contribute to them. And so, it's really gone big. Uh, so I think this is how. Uh, These companies are innovating and kind of fulfilling a need that other people uh, weren't fulfilling with a with a credit card or with a bank account.
0: Okay, Um, I wonder if we could just talk finally about the kind of things you'll be keeping an eye on over the next few months. I mean, obviously, there's the development of the coronavirus, the outlook from the Fed and uh, any other things that you'll be looking out for.
1: Well I think I think one of the interesting concepts is that uh I think people ourselves included sold down our Chinese holdings because um, the coronavirus started in China it affected China China had very drastic rules uh, to control it and um, those you know all the companies in China were affected by it um and you know it's going to take them a while to recover from that but they seem to have the virus under control in China actually um and now it's spreading to the rest of the world, and the rest of the world's grappling with how do they control it and what do they do about it. And so it's impacting, we think it's going to impact businesses outside of China more than businesses inside of China. Actually, China's going to be in the process of recovering over the next quarter, and the other companies and countries are going to be, you know, uh, figuring out what to do and maybe working less and eating less and traveling less. And so maybe this is a time to think about you know reinvesting some more in china um and um that's something that we're thinking about and talking about um you know the debate is how how bad is it going to be and and as i said my view is that once you become familiar with something and you know what the risks are and you see what the risks are then you can assess them and you they're usually not as bad as the fear of the unknown and so, uh, I guess we're hopeful that um, uh, these stimulus methods will start a even stronger recovery in uh, the second half of this year and into two, 2021, and that will be reflected in people uh, uh, wanting to buy growth stocks that that uh, come through this uh, environment in good shape and and have an accelerating growth rate in, in uh, 2021. So. We actually think coming out of this period of uncertainty and, and, um, and pressure that uh, we'll get uh, another good opportunity for our funds. So we're trying to position the, the stock in the stocks that we think are going to do well over the next couple of years.
0: Great. Okay, that seems a positive note to end on there. Um, thank you so much for those insights, Walter, and uh, thank you to our audience for listening. Uh, please do tune in again next time.